0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 39 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind, Uh, doing this uh, on the road. Grizzlies in their team hotel on this Thursday morning, getting ready for game number three with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Game will tip at 630 Central Time. So uh, six o'clock for Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers. Very excited about our friend of the program today. He's been a longtime friend and colleague. His name is Ian Eagle. You know all about him. He's done all the major podcasts, and now he's even doing the Grizz Weekly Grind, and he is here in Minneapolis. He will call Game 3 with Jim Jackson for the NBA on TNT. So we've got that. We'll talk a little bit about Game 2, preview Game 3. That's all on the way, but first we tell you the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. All right, let's get to a, a quick edition of That Was the Week That Was. So Tuesday night, Grizzlies were in a position, no, it wasn't truly a must-win game, but if you go down 0-2 and losing two home games, trying to win four uh, becomes a really, really major issue, uh, particularly going on the road to Minnesota. First quarter of this game, foul-filled, no question about it. One of the most foul-filled games uh, we've seen with a lot of free throws. This was a situation where Zach Zarba, James Williams, Mitchell Irvin, I think they were trying to keep order early, set a tone for this game. Uh, yeah, we may be calling some ticky-tack stuff, but we don't want this game to get out of control. Very tightly contested first quarter, 33-32 Grizzlies after one quarter. Second quarter is where this where this game really turned, and, and part of it is Stephen Adams picked up two early fouls, Brandon Clark also got into some foul difficulty, uh, but Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman started to work defensively against Carl Anthony Towns, and Towns got himself in foul trouble. This was not an issue for Carl Anthony Towns in Game 1. Carl Anthony Towns, in the first game, scored 14 of his points against Steven Adams. Uh, also didn't pick up a foul until the second half. Different story in Game 2. Uh, got into foul difficulty. Uh, Xavier Tillman is not as big, all right, as uh, as Stephen Adams, but he's a little bit more mobile. Uh, happy to play physical, uh, and Brandon Clark again, maybe undersized a little bit, but athletic, and will track cat out to the three point line. Grizzlies just did a really good job defensively in this ball game, and part of it was just changing up the rotations. This was something that a lot of fans and even some media pundits had talked about that. You, you know, Stephen Adams. This is this is not a good matchup for him, and so maybe you need to go in another direction. Um, Grizzlies go on to win this ball game. It ends up being the largest margin of victory in a postseason game. Grizzlies win it one twenty four to ninety six. It was the first time in sixty three road games that Minnesota had been held to fewer than one hundred points. Uh, Grizzlies held them to thirty nine and a half percent shooting. Big issue here, Uh, Grizzlies were even in three-point makes. After being minus nine in game one, both teams made 11. And the Grizzlies, uh, it was pretty much a push at the free-throw line, had four more attempts, but even in the number of makes. And the Grizzlies also were plus eight on the glass. They were out-rebounded in game one. That was a major issue. This is a good rebounding Minnesota team, but certainly not one of the top rebounding teams in the NBA. And the Grizzlies, by any metric, are the best rebounding team in the NBA. So the Grizzlies, even the series, 124-96. Uh, John Morant, 23 points, 10 assists, only two turnovers in this game. But the Grizzlies got great contributions off their bench. Grizzlies had seven and double figures, four of them from the bench Brandon Clark Zaire Williams uh, and Xavier Tillman all with 13 points and this was after Xavier Tillman scored a grand total of two points last year in the series against the Utah Jazz and remember Brandon Clark last year was not part of the rotation played very briefly against Utah last year but came up big in this game so the Grizzlies Even the series at one game apiece, 124-96, and the scene now shifts to Minneapolis. So let's get some Petey's points uh, for this game as we get you ready for game three. Um, Number one, big credit to Taylor Jenkins. Chris Finch, the Minnesota coach, said that Taylor Jenkins had lucked into the change in rotation because of the foul problems with Stephen Adams. That's his take. Uh... The information that we had and Xavier Tillman shared was that Taylor Jenkins did talk to him after Game 1 in the run-up to Game 2 and said, we may need you in Game 2. Credit to Taylor Jenkins saying, I will go as deeply into my rotation as I need to to get the win. And this is where the Grizzlies really excelled. I know a lot of times when you get into the postseason, your rotation gets really shorter. Grizzlies still trying to figure out the best way to deal with this Minnesota team. And they found it by going to guys like Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman off the bench. And in fact, Kyle Anderson started the second half of the game. So, you know, the Grizzlies have shown themselves that they can and they will do what they need to do in order to make this work. And the Grizzlies, I just thought they came out with a better defensive mojo in this game. They hold D'Angelo Russell to 3 of 11 shooting. One of his makes was just a desperation fling at the basket. Anthony Edwards got his 20 points, but only got to the free throw line two times. Uh, And the Grizzlies, I thought, did an excellent job of forcing Edwards and D'Angelo Russell into fadeaway shots rather than them getting to the rim. And that's going to be really important going into Game 3. The Grizzlies need to make sure that Minnesota is not playing downhill. They're among the league leaders as a team in driving field goals. They are a paint and a three-point shooting team. That is what Minnesota is. And so to the extent that the Grizzlies can take that away, uh, they will put them in good stead as we get ready to play Game 3. Before we get on with our friend of the program today, uh, an Eagle of the NBA on TNT and the NFL on CBS and the NFL on Westwood One, Etc. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We will tell you that today's show is also being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. You know, the NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook. They're an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. That means you win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. So, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. its promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, 1 800 NEXT STEP. In Colorado and New Hampshire, 1 800 522 4700. In Connecticut, 888 789 7777. Or visit the website slash chat. In Iowa, 1 800 bets off. In Louisiana, 1 770 stop. In New York, 1 8 hope NY or text hope NY. In Oregon, visit opgr.org. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789 or in Virginia, one eight eight eight. 532 3500. Must be 21 or older, 18 or older in Wyoming, must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for details. And I want to get to uh, our friend of the program, uh you know who Iron Eagle is. He is uber talented. He You see him on uh, the NBA on TNT. He is locally. He is the voice of the Brooklyn Nets in New York. Um, NFL on CBS, the NCAA tournament. He is pretty much everywhere. And uh, had a chance to sit down and uh, chat with Bird talk about some of his broadcast partners, talk about some of his philosophy in working with broadcast partners, and also, of course, getting his take not only on tonight's Game 3 between the Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves, but also getting his take on the Brooklyn Nets, the team that he covers on a day-to-day basis, and what a interesting season they have had. All that and more in this edition of Friend of the Program. Here he is, Ian Eagle and you're here in town for Game 3, Grizzlies and Timberwolves. Let's talk basketball first before we get to the fun stuff and uh, and your thoughts about tonight's game, because this is might, might be one of the more competitive series in the Western Conference.
1: Yeah, the way that I look at it in the NBA playoffs in general, it's the only series that features two really young teams trying to establish themselves. You look at every other series and you've got guys that have done it for a while or guys that have already... Taking the step step into superstardom, they're already there—the Doncic's and the Donovan Mitchells. So Utah is an example. This could be the end of the road. Uh, Dallas, obviously, is still trying to grow with their new head coach. This series features two teams. We could be hearing a lot about both of them, not just this year, but down the road. This, to me, is one of those pivotal crossroads series where one team is going to take this and run with it and grow from this and the other team is going to look back and say okay that was good experience and now we're going to have to figure out which areas we need to improve so uh, to me one of the most intriguing series in the NBA and it's playing out that way so far
0: you'd had a chance to see the Grizzlies on a first-hand basis several times what jumps out to you about them and their style of play and why they've been so successful this year
1: Entertaining, so that goes without saying when you have Ja Moran. but the pieces around him fit so well. Chemistry is one of those things that we talk about. It's so important, and sometimes it's not really tangible. You can't say exactly what it is. With this squad, you can tell there's a togetherness, uh, there's a cohesion, and there's an understanding of roles. And it's not all Ja. It isn't. The improvement of Desmond Bain... What we've seen from uh, the unselfish nature of the bigs, Stephen Adams in particular, who understands, hey, this series, it just may not be his cup of tea. So what Taylor Jenkins has done, he's clearly established a, a mentality that the team follows very strongly, and now they travel, like that mentality travels, which is one of the toughest things to do in the nba where who you are reveals itself on the road and then the other part and you know this because you're living it the interest level is now traveling ja morant has gone to that next level where there are fans waiting outside every hotel you go to there are morant fans in opposing cities and that means you've now resonated at a level that only
0: a select group get to in the NBA individually. It's kind of like the Iron Eagle effect. I know every hotel you go to, there are people waiting for your autograph. Is that is that? Yes. Is that... Yeah, the groupies,
1: uh, you know, I've had to hire security, Pete. I don't want to get into it. There's W-2 forms that have to be filled out at the end of the year. But I just try to handle
0: it professionally. I know. Hire, having to hire personal security is really, really a hassle for, for anybody who's, who's in this business. All right. Outside of TNT, you call Brooklyn Nets games. Nets down 0-2 to Boston. This has to have been one of the interesting is even an understatement for this season with the Brooklyn Nets with the Kyrie Irving situation and then the trade and, and, and the great expectations that were had for this Brooklyn team. What's up with the Nets?
1: Yeah, I would describe it as bizarre. I would go to that level. Of description because it has been. It's been a roller coaster ride. They've almost had four seasons in one. The start of the season, no Kyrie, and that was a distraction. They get him back. So that was the first part. Second part, they get him back for road games only. You could tell that James Harden, the disinterest was beginning to build. That was your second phase. Third phase, Kevin Durant injured. The team goes 3-17 and 17 over a 20-game stretch. 3-17 and 17 for a playoff team. That's a rarity. And Kyrie then is now part of home games. That's your fourth stage after the trade. How do you mesh in these new pieces? And they just never got into a flow consistent. And your record, it's who you are. You've got to live by that in the NBA. They're the seven seed for a reason. Are they a really talented seven seed? They are. But what I've seen in the first two games, you've got one team that has ridiculous chemistry, Boston, that emerged and revealed itself over the course of the season, mostly post-January 1. Then you've got another team, the Nets, that never found it. They just have not. Now, can they win games? Of course. They've got high skill level. But they're facing a lot of the things that they face during the regular season. I just think from a national perspective, everyone assumed they could just flip it on. It doesn't
0: work that way in the NBA. No, no, it really doesn't. And now with the hamstring injury to Devin Booker, Phoenix's chances perhaps may take a hit. I like Golden State somehow coming out of all of this if they remain entirely healthy. Because you, you get to call all the games on TNT. You get to see a lot of different teams. I know it's early in the playoff yeah. season, but... What? What? Who do you like coming out of this whole mess?
1: Well, I had Miami the other night, and Jimmy Butler went off. He was that guy that took on the responsibility. They can play better than they've played, and they're up 2-0 on Atlanta. And the Hawks, look, it was emotional for them just to get into the postseason, the play-in. What we have learned, it does take a lot out of you, and you ride that emotional roller coaster, and then some teams can use it as, as momentum, building and then other teams like Atlanta it hits them in the face that they are spent already and they just got to the postseason Miami's an interesting team they've gone under the radar they're the one seed yet people aren't talking about them in that vein had Milwaukee the other night and there were signs in that game one that Chicago found a little something Milwaukee survived it the Middleton injury is concerning Mm -hmm. he does so much for that team that often goes unnoticed So, I'll be curious with the Bucs. Everybody tends to forget last year they were a Kevin Durant toe Mm -hmm. away from getting knocked out in the conference semifinals. And, Pete, as you know, the sliding doors theory in the NBA, if they lose to the Nets, Mike Budenholzer gets fired, Giannis gets the kind of attention that he did not want, which is, can you get over the hump? Can you win with this guy? And the narrative completely shifts because they won the game they ended up winning the NBA championship and some of that stuff might pop up again if they don't get it done here so um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on around the NBA and the fact that you and the Minnesota Timberwolves are right in the thick of it it's fun it's fun to to be a part of it and fun to be a a part of the the storylines
0: this is a great time of year you know I want to switch to talk about our job and our craft of sports casting. and I remember years ago Marv Albert wrote a book I'd love to but I have a game yes. and I know that you're you're living that life so you do Jets preseason NFL on CBS NFL on Westwood one and then you transition to college basketball NBA basketball what do you do in July which is like the only <laughs> month you don't have a game yes uh, drink heavily <laughs> That's, that's basically
1: been my M.O. the last few years. July is a great month to catch up, to turn off the battery and shut it down. And I realized, my wife convinced me of this probably about five years ago, that I needed it mentally, physically, uh, just to, to completely drop out of society and uh, go somewhere and uh, just not focus on the day-to-day happenings around NFL and NBA but as you know you can't completely separate yourself and you take a peek and you want to feel that you at least have a semblance of knowledge when it gets ramped up again Pete, you've lived it you compartmentalize and this is why we got into this field, to do games and to enjoy the excitement of that. COVID was such a Such a jarring experience for all the broadcasters to be remote and not feel the energy of the crowd and not hear the squeaks and not interact with one another, let alone athletes and coaches. So this time of year has been extra special considering what it's been like the last couple of years
0: and one of the great challenges you know I have Brevin Knight by my side 82 nights a year you work with Sarah Kustak you um, work with Jim Spanarkle uh, we're going to talk about Bill Raftery in a moment we, we, we have to have like a special section on Raft <laughs> but you change analysts and even now with your NBA on TNT responsibilities tonight it's Jim Jackson one night it might be Stan Van Gundy another night might be Grant Hill what is that like? Because our job is to make the analyst shine and you're dealing with different people and different personalities that maybe have different strengths. How do you manage all that? I always visualize
1: it like a cocktail party. And when you go to a cocktail party, you have no idea who you might get paired up with at different moments. You end up talking to one person and then that conversation ends and you move to another person and a completely different vibe takes over. So you can view it through your own lens and say, well, I'm always gonna be the same, no matter what. That's not the best way to do it. The best way is to be flexible and malleable and open to whoever it is you're talking with and playing off them, figuring out what their strengths are and using that to have a really good conversation. And that's how I've tried to view this whole experience. I've worked with, I think, 148 different partners over the course of my career. I was having lunch with Bill Raftery many, many years ago, mid-90s, in Milwaukee. And Bill was trying to think out loud how many different partners he worked with, and he was jotting it down on a napkin. He goes, oh yeah, I worked with him. I worked with him too. (laughs) And he couldn't remember everybody. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to keep track. Like that was enough of an impetus for me to start jotting down who I worked with. So I have kept track all of these years. And it's a who's who. And some were one-offs. Others were long-term, 28-year relationships, like Spinarco, like Bill Raftery. And I enjoy that part of it. I really like the back and forth. And I like the idea that you process who you're with and then synthesize how to make it the best it can be. You might be next to someone who's got a great sense of humor, so that's gonna be a big part of what you do. You might be next to someone that doesn't have a great sense of humor. You can't go there and get crickets on every line that you toss out there. You might have someone that's great on X's and O's, and then you utilize that. Someone that is tremendous on strategy. Someone that's great on storylines and biographical or history. And I really try to analyze
0: those things and make it work in the context of the broadcast. 148. I think that's my off-season project is to figure out, I don't go to 148. I've done a lot of different sports, but I don't go to 148. And you have been with a who's who. Is there a bucket list analyst, whether it's football or basketball? God, I really love to work with them, but they work at another network or, or, or whatever. Is there somebody that if I have one basketball game or one football game that yeah. I get to call with somebody I've never worked with? Anybody on that list?
1: I'd say the most recent one that's popped up would be a Van Gundy, but not Stan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Worked with Stan. Really enjoyed it. He is a great guy. He cares a lot. He is so prepared and into it and passionate about the game and teaching the game jeff would be someone that if given a different set of circumstances i'd love to do a game with Uh, he's a little quirky and he views things from a different lens and i think he and i would would click and have a lot of fun while also getting focused on the seriousness of what's happening in front of you. So that would be the one guy most recently that I would really like to do a game with. Historically, I think John Madden was one of those people that you just would have liked to have been in his orbit once or twice to get a feel for what the experience was like. I remember I did a game with Dan Dierdorf filling in for Dick Enberg when Enberg was doing the U.S. Open. So I ended up doing a couple of games with Dan Dierdorf, and I was really blown away at how gifted a broadcaster he was, how good he was on the fly, and how malleable he was. I could go anywhere, and he could go there too, and had a sense of humor and had all the things you look for. So it was one of the first times in my career that I was taken aback by an analyst how strong they were in the position and how much I learned from being next to them. It was, it was a great experience. And as you know, Pete, look, you, you don't have to be best friends with your analyst. Of course it helps when you're close because that reveals itself on the air, but there has to be a healthy respect for what they do and for what you do. And once you hit that understanding, and to me it's not every break you talk it through and you it becomes almost non-verbal in your communication of how we're best going to do this and you really do get judged as a team more than you get judged individually I think people when they watch or listen it's something innate that leads them to the conclusion that oh, I like these guys, or I like these gals, and not, ah, I like him, but I don't like him, I like her, eh, nah, I could do without her. You're a team, and sports is about teamwork, so it's really important to keep that in mind.
0: And to have that chemistry, and I always look at it like, we don't want to be kicked out of your living room yeah. for, for anything that we say or do. A guy that everybody would love to have in their living room alongside you, Bill Raftery. I'm sure the Raftery stories could go on for hours uh give me some some insight of what it is like to work with him because he has a tremendous sense of humor but he also has tremendous institutional knowledge of of college basketballs and I, I remember watching him with mike gorman uh on on the big east you know send it in jerome uh those types of moments what's it like to actually work with him and then go to the bar afterwards
1: <laughs> well the, the crazy part pete was when i started with the nets in 1994 I was doing radio for the one year. I moved to TV the next year and Bill became my partner. But the whole year I was around him and we were a very close-knit group, radio-TV combination, going out to dinners, hanging out and socializing a lot because Bill socializes a lot, that's his life. So the first three years that I was there, I had no idea I was allowed to leave at the end of the night. And I'm young at the time. I'm 25, 26, 27. And I was getting beat up. The next day I was feeling it. And Bill somehow would be at the gym doing his dopey penguin walk and nothing. He'd say, oh, hey, Bird, Great night, huh? I'm like, I'm crushed here. I still can feel the alcohol coming through my pores. He was unaffected. So finally, year four at midnight, I decided I'm out. And I didn't care what was happening. I just would cut it off and leave. And sometimes it would be an Irish exit, and other times I would have to actually say goodbye and tell him, and Bill's reaction every time was like, hey, bird, you're ruining at a good party. And I thought, oh, there's gonna be derision the next day. He's gonna really get on me. And then I'd see him at the gym the next day. Be like, oh, hey, bird, it was fun, huh? It, he would not either he didn 't remember or he just moved on, so I did learn over time that I could not hang with him at the level that he was hanging he he's just he 's a wonderful person, and that translates on the air. Why is he so likable on the air because he 's really likable in person that 's who he is it 's the real deal all the time, and I think that's why it's translated so well to to viewers. The, the fact that his institutional knowledge and his ability to break down a game and tell you what's going to happen before it happens doesn't get more attention is because his personality is so big and so affable that It becomes the secondary thing that you think about in regards to him it's unfortunate because bill's a great analyst but i don't think he would have it in any other way he ultimately is himself which is the goal in tv and radio can the essence of you come through in covering the sport without it overwhelming the event and becoming about you and it never is about him it's still about the players it's still about the game but he just has an ability to weave in bits of his personality and make it feel right.
0: Yeah, and, and I had the experience, too, starting out in the NBA working with Snapper Jones. Yeah. And Snapper's a totally, a totally different person. But I learned probably more about the NBA from him than, than anybody else. Would, would Raftery be the guy that maybe you learned the most about basketball from, or are there, there are other people that have, have really helped shape who you are as a play-by-play guy through their analysis?
1: I would say he is definitely number one in the person I learned the most about television from. That goes without saying. Basketball, I've been really fortunate to be around so many people that you pick up bits and pieces. What I didn't know is the, the graduate school level at which I was going to learn about TV and life came from Bill. So again, I'm very young at the time. I had never done a television game, zero. I had zero TV games banked when I got the Net TV job. And sitting next to him brought a comfort level and it also erased that that fourth wall in many ways because I quickly realized that what we had developed off the air in a friendship could be used on the air. I didn't have to follow the rules where, well, no, 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 can't say that. No, 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 can't reveal that part of your personality. No, 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 put the wall up. They can't know that about you. And that was all him because that's how he did the game. And then I carried it with me for however many different opportunities I got. That became the philosophy of, there's a different way of doing this and it's still acceptable and the fans might like it more because they feel connected in some way and you can, you can actually cut through. And that's all him, all of it. And it wasn't him telling me, well this is what you need to do and then when you do, it was just osmosis. It was just being around him. The basketball side of things, if you ever saw his notes, we all prepare in different ways his notes look like a scene from A Beautiful Mind, John Nash. Like, you would not be able to take his notes and use them. Most play-by-play announcers, if I grabbed your notes and you grab mine, you'd be able to get a sense of what it is I've got on paper and vice versa. His, there are chicken scratches, there are diagrams, there are what looks like Chinese arithmetic. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Yet for him, it all works, and he's still doing it the same way, the same way that he did it when I met him in 94. He does it in 2022, and it's a testament to his consistency and his brilliance.
0: Well, thanks so much for the time. Great conversation. Your security details over there tapping their watches. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, think, I, think our, I think our time is up, and it's been great visiting with you. And our thanks to Ian Eagle for joining us on today's show as the friend of the program. Our thanks also to DraftKings Sportsbook and to Hoop City Basketball Club for their continued support. Uh, Grizzlies have game number three tonight uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Game four will be Saturday night. It will be a very, very late start, 9 o'clock Central Time. Second half of an ESPN doubleheader. Of course, we'll have all the coverage on Bally Sports Southeast as we have had all season long. Again, this has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.